0: Hello, dear listener, Gabe from the Editing Bay here. Just wanted to hop in before the episode starts and give a quick apology slash update. As you might have noticed, we did miss a couple weeks in December of releasing podcast episodes. I do apologize for that. I ended up with COVID in the middle to the end of the month, which obviously stopped us from being able to record. And then the holidays happened which i'm sure you understand is a very hard time to try and get together to do anything with someone that's not immediate family. So, just wanted to say that we are back on a consistent record release schedule. At least that is the plan for the time being. Don't see that changing anytime soon. Hope you guys had a great new year and holiday. And now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Laid Back. <laughs> 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 <Laid back>. <laughs> <laughs> name change <laughs> <laughs> laid back luscious mistakes <laughs> um hey that's a good one i like that yeah i'm gonna yeah. keep
1: that yeah so it's our blooper reels and and <laughs> i think we should call it laid back luscious mistakes when we archive our episodes <laughs> that'll be behind the paywall yeah yeah you can listen to us be idiots if you want (laughs) anyway hello and welcome to laid back lush a little podcast where we talk about wine beer and spirits i am your trepidatious co-host michael
0: and i am gabe i am WSET level three certified in wine and i'm an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body and my qualifications are that of non-professional sources
1: (laughs) i also was a salesman for a little bit just a little bit. Just a little bit. It was fun. Uh, today, we actually wanted to revisit our wine tasting episode. Yeah. And we kind of felt like yeah. it was necessary for a couple of different reasons. Uh-huh. So uh, especially, I think, Gabe, you chief, re-listened chief
0: amongst which. Yes, uh, so I listened to it in preparation for this episode. I had forgotten, as I mentioned to Michael earlier, that that was the second episode we ever recorded. Which makes sense from what content you want to do. Yeah, um, but we also sucked when we first started this podcast. And that episode is an hour and 16 minutes long, and it is mostly us rambling about things that aren't even related to wine tasting. We love the experience of wine
1: weighing and describing their qualities and connecting them to what contributes to it, but that episode didn't really communicate it, that no, and it didn't accomplish giving you guys something practical
0: no no and you had to sit through an hour and 16 minutes of it just to uh you know hear us review two wines i yeah i don't know why we ever decided to release that to be honest with you so um we wanted to partially revisit that and simplify it for you guys and give you guys a definitive here's how we taste wine here's how professionals taste wine To give you the tools that you can go out into the world and therefore impress your friends with your amazing wine tasting abilities or however you choose to wield this great power. (laughs) Yeah, and obviously you don't have to
1: do wine tasting from a structured standpoint in order to enjoy it. But we like to adhere to it because it creates a conversation between us and our senses. Yes. This focuses our experience so that we have a more vivid and memorable impression of the different dimensions of wine, and it gives us language to be able to share it. How many times have you had a wine and you remember liking it, but you can't remember what it was like? Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of the practices that we do in order to make it to where you could recall why you liked it, or at least have a general idea of what it was like. Yeah. So how does all of this work, though? Well, the sciences behind winemaking and perception are constantly advancing, but as the focus today is on the process, we'll get into them and why Adam didn't ruin anything but his winning streak in another episode. (laughs) A short summary could say this. Perception is non-finite, there are factors that contribute to it, this is just the practice itself. And you can reason with yourself on your existential crises later.
0: <laughs> what a heartwarming message to hear from us here at Laidback Blush. <laughs> yeah.
1: The world is a simulation. <laughs> Everything's a lie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Wachowskis were right the whole time. Wait, Wachowskis? Yeah, the Wachowski's Oh siblings. the Oh my god, I completely The for- Matrix yeah. uh, directors, if you are not aware listener. Yeah,
1: I, I completely forgot their name for a second. Um, but yeah, so this is the process of tasting wine. Now, yes. your background, you are, I am assuming, getting a lot of this from your training with the W set.
0: Yeah, I also added a little bit of my own experiences in here, but I tried to mainly stick to a more systematic approach on tasting wine. Oh, so you actually have
1: developed your own unique thing using WSET as uh, a resource, but not necessarily the full gambit of what you do.
0: Um, yeah, it doesn't really deviate a whole lot because there's not a whole lot to add to the lexicon, particularly at level three, Um, but... I do think it's important to also contextualize your own way of describing and tasting wines. And you only figure that out by tasting them. And uh, obviously, it's a good starting point. And I still do think it's probably one of the better lexicons that's out there, I would argue, but I'm biased, obviously.
1: Yeah, having a systematic approach is fantastic because it gives you a good starting point. You can have an impression of the liquid in your mouth, or you can have an impression of the wine itself as a general experience, but as far as evaluation, it's nice to have like a set list. So how many things are you evaluating on? What's our what's our number of evaluations?
0: Nine, ten, if we are counting sparkling wine, which we'll get oh, into that. I see, okay. get there.
1: Uh, and as a summary, what are we what are we going to be covering today?
0: All right. So just as an overview of the main topics or things that you are going to look for in a tasting is color, your aroma notes. Your flavor notes: the sweetness, the alcohol, the acid, the tannin. All of that makes up the body. For sparkling wines, we add mousse, which is the bubbles, and then also the finish of the wine. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get into it. So we have a wine, which why wouldn't we? It's the tasting episode, right? So this is the Chateau Maris or Marie. I am so sorry again to all the French speakers out there. This is the Latouche 2019. This is from the Minervois Appellation that is in the Languedoc region in southern France. And it is a 70% Syrah, 30% Grenache blend. Part of the reason why we chose this is this is a biodynamic wine and an organic wine. Uh, Listen to our Natural Wines episode if you don't know what those terms mean. But in short, biodynamic is basically... Holistic farming. It's like organic on steroids, I guess yeah. is a, a very succinct way of putting it.
1: Well even their facility,
0: these guys clearly care about it. It's made out of biodegradable. Bi- biodegradable hemp blocks. Yeah. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's energy self-sufficient and carbon negative, which I really like. And it has been highlighted as one of the world's most sustainable wineries. I don't know how true or not true that is or who said that, but they take it seriously. So I've taken a few sips, uh, I will admit, and I uh, will say on the start of this, I enjoy it. But let us get into the actual tasting regimen.
1: Yay, a positive review! When we were selecting this, I was like, "This has the potential of being a negative review." Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: neither of us have ever tried this before. I literally just got this wine; it's a blind buy yesterday. So I'm so glad we're taking the chance on it. All right. So as far
1: as the color, what are, what are some general descriptors for color that can be uh, used to describe wine? And then how would you describe this
0: wine? Okay. So obviously for whites to rosés to reds, you're going to have different words because they're different colors. For white wines, normally we use words like lemon, hay, gold, up into brown. That is something to keep in mind for pretty much any wine at all is as it ages or more specifically as wine oxidizes, because aging is kind of just the process of microoxygenation within the bottle. More brown or orange will encroach upon the wine of any type. So for white wines, that tends to go more towards a brown color. This is a red, so for reds, typically you're going to hear words like purple, ruby, then you kind of get into tawny or brickish colors or garnet when that brown starts to encroach upon it. Rosé shouldn't really ever be brown. I don't know of any rosé that's made to age, really. Yeah, so, I've never heard
1: of an aged rosé.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, aged in barrels, yes, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but the color is not normally affected by that, so... Rosés typically you're gonna find um like salmon, pale pink, um those kind of blush they tones. They can
1: start to encroach on like um think a light watermelon.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it it depends on the skin contact and stuff like that, and how much color was pulled from the grapes. But those are notes you can kind of look for for the various types of wine. This wine, oh, so you mean colors? What did I say? Notes. Oh, uh, colors. Yes, I apologize. Um, So within that color, though, we can then look at intensity of that color. Now,
1: how would you differentiate color and intensity?
0: So the color is the hue and the intensity is how concentrated that hue is. For white wines, it's harder to tell in general because white wines don't have the density of color typically that red wines will have. But for both red wines and white wines and rosé wines, the best way to establish the intensity of the color is if you kind of tip your glass and you make a rim, seeing how much you can see through the glass and how far the core of the color of the wine at the deepest part going out into the edges, how far that gradient extends. For red wines in particular, if it's like dark all the way where it's almost opaque, you can't see through the glass, that's an intense colored wine. And I do recommend that you
1: use a white background when you're evaluating the color, because if you have another color behind it, it can kind of interfere with that. Yeah. To sum up, though, it sounds like when we're assessing color, we're primarily dealing with hue, as in where on the color wheel it is, and then intensity, as in how well light travels through it.
0: Yeah, you can look at it that way. Um, Again, for white wines, it's going to be a little trickier because white wines are normally clear, but in general, yeah. A good way to put that. Unfortunately, the lighting in here is horrendous right now. Yeah. So I'm going to pull the call that this is a wine that is ruby in color, very bright ruby. The intensity I'm having a little bit of trouble with, I'm going to want to say it's kind of verging on um, like a medium intensity, but um, I would still say it's probably in the pale spectrum. Because I can see the stem of my glass through my whole glass. Yeah, me too. Pretty clearly at that. Mm -hmm. So that normally will indicate pale for red. I would definitely agree with your assessment. But again, when you tip it in the glass, the color extends a little bit farther than I would normally call a pale. But overall, it's still quite clear. So that's color. What do you get on the nose? So our aroma notes. Obviously, that's going to include the individual aromas that you smell on a wine. As with color, we also measure intensity for aroma. Some people say it's how far from the glass your nose has to be. I tend to evaluate it more, and this is something my instructor taught me, is how concentrated are the smells themselves? Because even if you can smell something from far away from the glass, that is normally an indicator that something has an intense nose. But... If it's not clearly defined, if those individual notes are not clearly defined, I would not call that intense because sometimes certain wines can have them be a little muddled.
1: Well, I would, I would also like to caveat there is a difference between aroma and bouquet. Sometimes there's so mm-hmm. much development, and especially an aged wine, that you can't really discern them between each other, but it will be an intense aroma. Normally, though, it will evoke something Very quickly, if it is a bouquet as opposed to a muddy aroma.
0: And a bouquet you can normally still pick apart to some degree. To some degree. Like, oh, okay, dried berries and dried flowers Mm. that are making kind of this potpourri. It's just less
1: obvious. Yeah. So, but one thing that I use as a method is I will begin to suggest to myself what it might be. The nose is interesting. We'll get into it in the uh, episode where we go into the science of perception. But essentially, it's it's not something that goes through your language area. Yeah. When you have to kind of like assert that it might be a thing in order for our, your nose to make a connection. In some cases, it could be something as simple as red fruit, uh, stone fruit, black fruit. Something along those lines in order to be able to then refine
0: it. Like, okay, so what type of red fruit? What type Mm -hmm. of black fruit? Yeah.
1: Look for your clusters
0: first. Yeah. And then narrow down from there.
1: Exactly. And don't be afraid to make a couple of wild guesses just to kind of give yourself context. The nose fatigues really quickly, unfortunately. You can have all sorts of descriptors for the aroma. It can range from spices to fruits to even... Uh, non-growing things like asphalt and petroleum. It really is a world that is endless. And wine is prized because of this in particular. There is so much emphasis placed on the smell of a wine. Yeah. For this wine in particular, honestly, the first impression I get is like China cabinet. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I, it smells just a little, like a little dusty. Yes, I, I would give you dusty. And I think that that is coming from the fact that this is a natural wine. So I don't know if they used a natural yeast, but I feel like that might be the case because I think it's funk and berry that's coming across to me.
0: Uh, on the bottle, it says they only use yeast from their vineyards. So, so yeah, that makes a sense. it is lot natural yeast. Um, I, I think that's part of it. I do detect what I think is a little bit of brett in here. Yeah, which is very common oh, for there we are. particularly Syrah. So that can contribute to that kind of dusty feeling because it's not dusty like um what you find in an old book in a no. forgotten library. It's granite dust from a quarry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, the black pepper from the Syrah is present in mm-hmm. here. And black pepper, particularly from old world Syrahs, always kind of has a little bit of a dusty character to me, just how my nose picks it up. So it could be that as well. Yeah, definitely the kind of like warehouse dust mm-hmm. yeah. type uh, association. There. Like dust from somewhere that's active, if that makes sense.
1: But also there is a good fruit profile here. Yeah. I would
0: say it's more brambly than anything else. It is. It's quite, Um, you said berries. I think berries is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. So mainly dark berries. So blackberries. Um. Some blueberries, but almost like underripe blueberries or those Mm -hmm. blueberries that are like just getting to the point where they're not quite as... Yeah. They still have a little tartness to them.
1: A little restrained.
0: Yeah. Some wild strawberry for sure, kind of that perfumed strawberry nose, some cherries, both um, red and black. And we're getting red fruit from the Grenache and black fruit from the Syrah. That's kind of how those grapes tend to work. Complex on the nose, we could say. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... I don't think I'm really getting the oak on here, but because there is a little bit of that funk from, I think, the natural yeast, it's reading as a little bit um, tertiary. And this is also a 2019, and we're drinking this in 2022. So this so. has had some time to to mm-hmm. develop. That makes a lot of sense. The fruit is still very fresh, so we're not getting into like dried fruits or anything, but there is a little bit of that earthy granitic um dusty but also um like dried leaves kind of thing going on in the wine but i'm not really getting i'm not getting oak i'm not getting dirt it's like the dried leaves in a vacuum yeah yeah Yeah. it's also a little mushroomy not pinot noir mushroomy but like button mushroom something you would come across in the woods like you would get a whiff of a, a mushroom kind of thing
1: now that you mention it, this has quite a distinct aroma of a type of brachial mushroom that grows on logs. Mm. Uh, it's not edible, so it's it's not a thing <laughs> that you would want necessarily outside of a wine. Don't put it in your pie hole. Don't put it. In, yeah, don't do that, um, and don't put it in your pies. Uh, it's. <laughs> But it's it's a brachial thing that aids with the unless the pie is clones. for your enemies. <laughs> oh, please do not poison anybody <laughs> with mushrooms.
0: Yeah, please don't do that. Mycologists have enough trouble being able to get stuff in the woods. And if you do, wipe your search history so the police don't come after us. <laughs> oh, god. No. <laughs> okay, so so if you
1: look at the process of what we just did, we smell it, we give an initial impression, we were saying dusty, we know that there's a fruit profile. The fruit profile is ranging from black to red. Then we're going into some other types of descriptions, whether it's more perfumey or floral, whether it's more fresh or more ripe. And you just continually refine that until you find a level of description that satisfies you. Yeah. I recommend only writing down maybe two or three descriptions. It's really in conversation that you get to the point of complexity that we are.
0: Yeah. Or if you're like me and you were forced to write down every single thing that you smelled <laughs> as part of your exam. Yeah, um,
1: evaluate it to your heart's content.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and I was literally just going to say that it's okay if you're not pulling out all this stuff that we are. We if have a just very extensive three- personal lexicon of yeah. smells. And, you know, some people say you can only really smell two or three things at a time anyway. So if that's all you're getting when you first smell a wine, that's fine. One thing that... I do want to get into, because I forgot to define it, but I did say it. So primary, secondary, tertiary. We've been over this many times, but it is very important to the tasting process. So just to reiterate, primary aromas and flavors come from the grape itself and also are included in that things from fermentation. Certain kinds of aromas do come from the fermentation process. A lot of them do actually. Fermentation is what releases a lot of these volatile compounds that you smell. Secondary is going to be the treatment post-fermentation, so barrel aging, concrete aging, amphora aging, or even stainless steel. Um, Stainless steel won't impart really anything, so that's considered neutral, so that wouldn't really give any secondary characteristics. Then we have tertiary, which is the process uh, that happens as the wine ages, and that's typically implied to also be in bottle. However, if it's extensively barrel-aged, like uh, tawny ports, for example, that are extensively aged in barrel, you would also include like the caramelized notes, the dried fruits, leather, forest floor, stuff like that is your tertiary aromas. That comes from that, again, that micro-oxygenation as the aging process happens.
1: It's important to know those three things because, again, your nose isn't going to immediately make these connections. Mm-hmm. We do make those connections, and Gabe especially so because of the fact that we have practiced this so often. Yeah. But it's okay to just go ahead and even grab uh, yourself a little notepad, write down, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary, and Mm -hmm. list the flavors that are underneath them, just so you know where to look.
0: And also, this breakdown helps you understand things like where a wine's development is at. It can help you identify or start being able to identify your different grapes in a blind tasting Like, if you can separate um, an oaked Chardonnay from an oaked Chenin Blanc, let's say, you would kind of have to deduce that based off the primary characteristics of the grapes, not the secondary, because they would both have oak on them, but the primary characteristics are what really will give you the differentiations between them. That's so fantastic.
1: Okay, so we have the color evaluation, we have our aroma evaluation. Where do you go
0: to next? You go to your flavor evaluation. Flavor evaluation. The best part, honestly. Well, (laughs) honestly, I've gotten to the point where smelling, I think, is my favorite part. Yeah. But, you know, you still want to drink it. I haven't even taken a sip yet. (laughs) 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 Because this is such a fascinating... Like, there's so much richness to the aroma of this. Mm -hmm, Yeah. That's a really good descriptor. Rich. This is a rich smelling wine. yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, it's important when you are tasting to not immediately swallow... You're not drinking it, you're tasting it. And it takes time for the wine itself to seep
0: into the taste pores on your tongue. And you also want to get the wine kind of on every surface of your mouth. Everything. Yeah. Do
1: you know that you have taste buds in your throat? Mm-hmm. That's gross.
0: Oh, uh, actually, thank you for saying that. That is something I forgot to mention. Uh, retronasal for mm-hmm. aroma. Oh, correct. Uh, apologies, listener. We're going to go back to aroma real quick before we get into flavor. Um, <laughs> so, retronasal perception is... Basically, those taste receptors in the back of your throat and the combination of particularly when you breathe out, what comes through your nasal cavity also informs your brain on what you're tasting. That's something to pay a lot of attention to because you might pick up on things retronasally that you don't pick up on as much when it's just on your tongue.
1: And there's a reason for this. Just very briefly, when you get the stuff on your tongue, your saliva is mixing with it. It's getting heated up. Mm -hmm. And it's being agitated. A lot of the structures on your tongue are actually just designed to agitate, not even to taste. Mm -hmm. So when that happens, you're releasing a lot more out of the wine. It's not just you making assumptions. There can be a literal different profile of smell that comes out of it. Yeah. As enabled through the
0: Chawana. Yes. And I guess retronasal also plays very much in the flavor because... Once you swallow it, breathing out really activates that retronasal reaction.
1: Oh, yeah. No, the, even the choana, which is the passage that goes into your nasal cavity again, where your uh, where your smell receptors are, mm-hmm. has taste buds on it. Yeah. So
0: the wine, wine yeah, yeah, no, this is
1: lovely. So you've coated your entire mouth. You're really kind of like moving it around, chewing it a bit even, and that's going to allow you to get a better idea of what the flavor is. Now, when we're doing the flavor, we are looking at different flavor types that there are. You can have your initial impression of what specifics are there, but you kind of want to start with the properties after that initial kind of like, oh, well, this tastes like berries. You take that and you're like, okay, so what is it about this that's tasting like berries? Well, there are a couple of different types of flavor that happens in your mouth. You have sweet, salty, sour, bitter savory savory and actually another one kokumi 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 they have another one now it's debated whether or not you can actually taste it but it depicts the presence of uh certain compounds that makes things that are aged more enjoyable is this a japanese word of course it is. They're the this, only ones this, that discover new flavors in the yeah, last hundred years. This
0: is this is such a Japanese concept.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's literally just the presence of a particular substance that
0: changes how you see the other things or how so, you feel the other things. So like with that fermented soybean paste, I can't remember the name mm-hmm. of it. Would that be kokumi? So the fermented soybean taste has glutamate in
1: it, mm-hmm. which is the primary substance behind MSG. savory. Yeah. Um, and is MSG. That's how it was invented. Yeah. Thank you, Japan. But kokumi is more to do with calcium content or mineral content in general. Interesting. So uh, your aged cheeses, like an aged Gouda, Uh, that's why it tastes better. Okay. Um, Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Hmm. So you evaluate, is this actually sweet? Now, it's important to realize that if you're smelling something fruity and also if it's a little colder, you may be perceiving sweet when there is no sweet yeah you really have to allow yourself to be honest and discern between fruity and sweet between bitter and tannic Mm -hmm. and a couple of other things that just can happen
0: the way my instructor always explained it is that sweetness itself is typically perceived and i know that the theory of every part of your tongue tastes a different thing isn't true it's bogus um but you do tend to perceive sweetness more on the tip of your tongue if it's perceptibly sweet. So that's where you want to focus on if you have a really fruity wine like this wine. This wine's bone dry. Bone dry. I I, I don't think there's any residual sugar. It, if It's like maybe one gram per liter if it's present at all. But it's very fruity. So I could see why someone would say maybe this is an off dry wine because your brain, like you said, is thinking, oh, fruit, fruit has sugar in it. Therefore, when I taste fruit, I'm tasting sugar. But you're not. You're just tasting the flavor compounds of the fruit.
1: Yeah. And there are other things that we'll get into when we start talking about body that can trick your perception into thinking that this is sweet, like Mm -hmm. its thickness. Yeah. So you evaluate whether it's sweet. Mm, Well, no. This one is not sweet. In fact, the primary thing that I get off of this is the subcategory of sour
0: tart. Yeah. Very berry-like. Yeah. Very berry. Mm -hmm. Very berry. And also... So I didn't say um, intensity, what the intensity of this wine was on the nose. I forgot to do that. Apologies. I would say it's on the higher end of medium, but Mm -hmm. it's not quite like a intense, fully intense. I'm not being attacked. No, I would say that matches the palate and something to note is normally those things should be matching up. If something has a low intensity, it should be low intensity on both the palate and the nose. If it's really disparate, like if you have a fully medium intensity on the nose, and then the taste is like a just full blown intensity, that could actually be an indicator of a fault, particularly in that scenario. Cork taint might be tamping mm. down the nose, so that's something to look for. Um, but both of these, I would say, are on the upper end of medium, but not quite in that fully intense category yet. Yeah. So before we move on
1: to uh, the body, we have some different substances in wine that have properties that are going to produce different experiences when the wine is in your mouth. Yeah. And it's important to be able to differentiate them when you're doing your evaluation.
0: Mm-hmm. So, for example, alcohol. Yeah. So, well, I know what this alcohol percentage is, and I would have guessed around this anyway. Do you have a guess as to what this is? Um, the way that I evaluate alcohol content is
1: based on two things or three things. Uh, the viscosity, the weight, and whether or not it's making my mouth water at the back of my throat. This is all three of those things to a T. So I'm gonna guess this is around like fourteen percent, fourteen and a half.
0: Oof. Yeah. So, um, but it doesn't. It it, it's it doesn't not as perceptively red as heat though. No. It, and so, alcohol normally what people will say is burn, which is true, but not burn like whiskey burn or, or liquor in general, but. It is perceptible, particularly at the back of your throat. Yeah. I kind of tend to feel it also in the top portion of my neck, like right at the start of my esophagus. And um, this is a physical, like heat, like you yeah.
1: all the you know
0: they are crying out in pain. Yeah, it's a chemical reaction. You are right. Uh, it can make the back of your mouth water more, as opposed to acidity, which we'll get to here in a second, which is at the front of your mouth, mouth watering. But it can cause a, an initial, very quick mouth watering response at the back of your mouth. Alcohol, as you said, gives viscosity to a wine. uh, That contributes to your legs. Now, a quick point about legs. Some people think that they indicate quality. That is not true at all. All it does is really just tell you the viscosity of the wine. Um, This wine does have very clear legs. Uh, Obviously, that alcohol content is going to make that almost inevitable. But as you said, uh, alcohol isn't always felt at the percentage level that it's at, that you would think it is. This wine is very well balanced overall. Spoiler alert. It is perceptibly high alcohol if you look for it, but you don't think that when you're drinking it. Yeah. At least I don't.
1: Yeah. With this wine, it is beautifully balanced. I really only get the sensation of the alcohol when it is in my throat. Yeah. Everything else is just texture.
0: And it's gorgeous. So next up, we have acid as one of our structural elements now wine can have up to three different types of acid naturally we have malic and tartaric acid those are the two naturally occurring acids in wine then we have lactic acid and if you listen to our white wine making episode we talk about malolactic conversions slash malolactic fermentation which is kind of a misnomer yes and that converts those acids into lactic. And you can also have a partial malolactic conversion, which then results in all three being present. Basically, acid in a wine, the primary structure it gives is mouthwatering response. So that keeps the wine refreshing. Let's say you have a really high sugar uh, dessert wine, like a soterne or a Tokai. You need high acid to keep that from basically being drinking syrup. Yeah. It
1: can allow for sweetness and also
0: alcohol to read as smooth and refreshing. Yes, and typically the more acid you have, the lower the body will be because that watering response is going to, you know, get more tied up in your saliva. It's going to be perceptibly more refreshing and kind of keep things cleaner. Something about the different types of acid, malic and tartaric are tartar, and more sour tasting. And lactic tends to be, um, I mean, it's in milk. So think milky, creamy, buttery kind of texture and flavor. Which means that acids
1: are influencing both the flavor as well as the texture of the wine. And they're giving you context on the other things that are present inside of the wine. Mm -hmm. This is
0: why the acid structure is focused on so much when people are talking about it. Yeah. And... Okay, one of the ways you can really uh, know if you're drinking a high-acid wine in particular is if you have to swallow multiple times. Mm -hmm. This is a high-acid wine. Yeah. And I think that's part of why the alcohol is not really overpowering, is this is keeping things very light and very Mm fresh-tasting. This will have undergone, in all likelihood, a malolactic. Pretty much every red will undergo a malolactic conversion.
1: Yeah, it stabilizes them in a way that
0: just you can't get otherwise. Yeah. so. It's solid though. I, I this is a high acid wine. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I just had to swallow like four times after yeah. taking a sip. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. like sitting here just struggling to be able to articulate things through mm-hmm.
1: everything going on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, and like a low acid wine will be like barely any mouth watering. Medium is just kind of somewhere in between where you're, you know, not drooling on yourself or almost <laughs> drooling on yourself, but uh, y- your mouth is still watering. Yeah, it also helps with tannins, because if
1: you ever have those tannins that will dry out your mouth, then that acid can actually increase the amount of saliva in your mouth, which mm-hmm. of course is going to allow it to be red as
0: different, as not so dry. Yeah. So speaking of tannin, actually, unless you add anything else on acids. No. Tannin in this wine, uh, medium, I would
1: say. Oh, there is one thing. Oh, okay. Okay, so if you are smelling something more along the lines of vinegar, though, there is are things called acetic acids, which are caused by bacteria? Return that wine.
0: It's called volatile acidity as a flaw. Try that one more time. It's called volatile acidity oh. as a flaw. Oh, I thought it was volatile acidity. Isn't that what I'm saying? You're saying acidity. Oh, so, I'm, I'm trying to say acidity. I haven't been drinking all day, I promise. No, I'm actually like, I, I feel like the saliva from that much. Yeah, acid it, that's is probably in this, what it is. This is just getting in the way. Yeah, so that's called volatile acidity, which is, again, those unchecked volatile acids that give that vinegary, even nail polish removery kind of smell sometimes. It, it is
1: the end of every wine that is not yeah. drunk in time.
0: Uh, so back yeah. to tannin, though. Tannin, let's so, do it. Weirdly enough, um, I'm kind of surprised by how much Syrah is in here, that it is not higher in tannin. I would say this is pretty squarely in the medium camp for me. I'm starting to feel it on my teeth, but... It's it, present. It's not coating them. I feel it much more on my tongue and the roof of my mouth.
1: I think that because of how acidic this is, there is
0: the presence of tannins, but they're not
1: as perceptible.
0: Yeah, And they're also quite silky. Mm. So that is one thing. Tannins are a textural component. Mm -hmm. That is something to make a note of. We talked about this briefly in our previous episode. Tannins are not a flavor component. A Mm. lot of people seem to think that they are. They speak that way. That's not the case tannins if they are high enough can make a wine more bitter mm-hmm. but primarily what tannins provide is astringency so yeah. that that's that mouth drying sensation that you get from like a cabernet sauvignon or a shiraz
1: yeah if you've ever taken a bite into an unripe blueberry and you just felt like your whole mouth was imploding that's mm-hmm. what or, we're going or you have like oversteeped black tea yeah that's kind of the extreme of what tannins do in high enough numbers Now, when we're talking about this, because this is having to do with the texture of the wine again, we are discussing it in terms typically of like fabric. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll say it's silky or it's woolly or velvety, velvety or it's consistent or it's coarse or Mm -hmm. it's harsh. These are describing a couple of different things, both the texture that we're feeling and also the amount. So you can have the amount and the qualities mm-hmm. of the tannins themselves. So yeah. what I like to think of it is, first, is this enjoyable? If it's really harsh tannins, it's probably not going to be very enjoyable. If it's really soft tannins, then they might not be as perceptible. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your scale from from harsh to soft. Yeah. As far as describing the texture, though, it really is what it sounds like. And we'll get into why you can do comparisons between like how you would feel a fabric in your hands as opposed to feeling tannins on your tongue in the other episode mm-hmm. where we go into the science. Yeah. But essentially the way that I like to view it is because uh, we have two different things. Uh, Gabe likes to see it as rice and pasta. If you, yeah. if you could tell us what that's that's all about.
0: In short, as tannins are in a bottle and they're aging with the other elements in the wine, they're binding together and forming longer amino acid chains. That's what tannins are made out of, amino acids. And as those chains get longer, they still bind with your saliva, but it's not quite as grippy. A young wine that maybe has some underripe hands is going to be like rice. There's going to be a lot of it, and it's going to have a lot more texture. Whereas if they chain together, they get to be more like spaghetti, where it still can be mouth-filling. It can still be very much a texture, but the texture is smoother and it's it's less harsh, I guess, yeah. When when they're in those longer strands.
1: Well, it's interesting. So when I was doing the research for this, what I came across was actually that sometimes the average length can go down. The process when they're aging, they are breaking apart and coming together over and over and over again with other compounds. So what ends up happening is you can have these massively large clumped up ones that don't produce long threads. They produce large clumps of tannin that don't have any of the proteins in our saliva bound to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives you that, uh, it's gone because it's mm-hmm. bound your saliva. Mm-hmm. You can think of it as imprisoning them from doing their job. Yeah. When they go through the aging process, though, they get capped off by the pigment, by the anthocyanins. And that allows for the consistency to become more homogenous. So when it does come into contact with the proteins in your mouth, and it's able to form that, it forms a tapestry of texture. So the way I like to view it is kind of a difference between material and thread count. If you were to take wool with thick strands and a low thread count, That's going to be kind of more itchy on your skin. It's more rough on your fingers. Mm -hmm. But if you have silk and you're trying to describe it as silky, then that's like a very thin structure, a very thin material with a high thread count. That's going to give you that smoother texture. Yeah. And that kind of textural tapestry can range from being like a consistent fabric to being like the polished surface of leather. It can even be steely. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you really just want to take into account what it is that you're feeling and go from there.
0: And if someone says that tannins are green, what they mean is the tannins are underripe. Yeah. And therefore harsher. So we have harsh to soft. We have ripe to unripe or
1: green to ripe. And then we also have the actual consistency that
0: we're feeling, that we're describing. Yeah. So I would say these are silky... Round, mouth so, coating, but but not grippy. Tans. Yeah. So, with all of these things considered, all these structural elements. So, this is a dry wine, as we said. But if there were sugar in it, that would up the body. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I, we're going into body now. Yes. So, alcohol typically, well, not typically, is well, going well, to bump first, up your body. If you don't
1: mind, just describe body because a lot of people in reviews that i've seen and stuff like that they'll say oh well the body was fruity and they start going into (laughs) aroma and flavor descriptors that's not what body is and yeah it's like they're trying to describe the
0: body of somebody's work yeah what is body so body in and of itself is the structural components and the way that they sit on your palate and the weight of them So it's a more,
1: it's a physical descriptor, not of the texture, but of the, the weight of the wine itself.
0: So uh, yes and no, like body itself, at least how I have always perceived it is mostly the weight, but texture does inform that as well. Interesting. So, okay. If
1: I were to say, what are the main components of body and how
0: do they contribute to its assessment? Could you list those? Yes. So we have our sweetness, which if this wine had sugar, that would up the body. Increased sugar content will up the body. This is a high alcohol wine, so it's kind of inevitably going to be on the upper end of body to begin with because alcohol, as we said, provides more viscosity. That viscosity texturally does tend to translate to a heavier weight on the palate. Acid tends to reduce the perception of body, the higher it is, as I said already. Tannin, the more tannin is in a wine, the more weight of body will be present in the wine, and the lower, the tannin, the inverse, the, the lighter, the body of the wine. That's like Pinot Noir tends to be a light to medium body wine because it's not really a high alcohol grape normally, and it doesn't have a lot of tannin, so that translates mathematically speaking, normally, unless something goes wrong, to a lighter to maybe medium-bodied wine. Okay. So as far as your descriptors, you're saying lighter to maybe medium body. So we have those
1: descriptors of we have a, we have a full body, mm-hmm. a medium body, and a light body. And you can mm-hmm. describe things in between all of those. Now, if I were to say it's a, a full plus wine, is there anything that would spring to mind?
0: Or would that just be getting to the point of, like, it's syrupy and that's just it? Yeah, that would be, like, really intense high-sugar dessert wine maybe would do that. Um, But I would still just call that full. This is more of a descriptor of sweetness for dessert wines, but luscious. Mm. Um, But that could also apply to the texture and the body of the wine, I guess, if you wanted to maybe throw it in that way. Mm. Um, I would avoid that language, personally. I would still stick, like, with full. I think that's apt.
1: So. We have some equivalents here. If we have a full body, then the most common thing that people will compare that to is whole milk. Yes. Then you also have your medium body that would kind of be like your 2%. Mm-hmm. And then your light body would be like skim milk. Yeah. So you can kind of feel that.
0: Again, it's not about the flavor, it's about the weight. Yeah. Flavor, it has no bearing on the body itself. The mm-hmm. body is this summation of the textural, structural elements and how they interplay together but saying that though like you wouldn't describe body as velvety body yeah that would be textural and that can influence the body and it does influence the body but body is a little bit more than just the texture it is again the weight itself on the palette
1: yeah and texture is specific enough to where we do separate that out into its own category yeah
0: you could say a velvety full body i would have no problem with that or a plush medium body that that's acceptable for me a fuzzy Um, light body (laughs) oh that does not sounds sound awful mess. it sounds like you'd be drinking cotton <laughs> how do you know <laughs> how did you get it in liquid form is my question you know you try and you try your best and that's all you can do michael's been running experiments again <laughs> that's always a dangerous
1: combination oh god in my in my basement laboratory <laughs> yeah. it evaluates the line or it gets the hose again <laughs> it's just
0: Oh Uh, gosh! I was thinking more like the Breaking Bad of the wine world. Oh, oh man, you were making me a lot more badass than than I was trying to come across. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd appreciate that. I'll own that. I'll manifest that. (laughs) Well, maybe don't manifest all of no, 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 no. But like, it didn't end well. No wine,
1: nothing illicit. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i'm manifesting scientific skill and knowledge okay yeah there we go there we go, there we go. okay yeah. and
0: hopefully not for the reasons that were started in the show either it's your lord
1: Any- <laughs> why'd you get into it <laughs> sorry okay anyway anyways so- we're making this a practical
0: episode yeah
1: uh so we've evaluated our color we've evaluated our aroma we've evaluated flavor texture and body. Well, we
0: haven't evaluated body for this. Yet. We have not. But we said ha- what the yeah, body we is. haven't said what the one for this is yet, yeah. though. So, what do we got? I'm saying full. You're saying full. So, I know I kind of already hinted at this. You can play wine math, if you will, with wine. So, just the alcohol content alone on this wine kind of almost guarantees that it has to be a full body wine. 14.5. That's so much viscosity in the wine. It, it kind of has to be full body. We also have medium tannin. That is enough to also reinforce that this is very high acid, but it's not enough to really diminish the perception of body, at least mm-hmm. on my palate. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I completely agree with your assessment. So what we, we have? have our body. And if this were sparkling wine, we would also evaluate the moose. It's not. But uh, Michael, since you are Captain Bubbles, do you want to take this one away? When we're talking about the moose, there are a couple of different
1: things that we're evaluating. So we're evaluating how frequently there are bubbles or the amount of the bubbles themselves. And we're also evaluating the size of the bubbles. So when you have both of those, the frequency and the size, it's almost like a a beats per minute comparison. So you put it in your mouth. They can be really fine and really uh, abundant, or they can be kind of larger and slower. So you could see that as kind of the difference between a fine champagne, which will have those really refined bubbles, or something like a sorbello, which the bubbles are going to be... By refined, you mean those like smaller, more persistent beads, right? Yeah, yeah, smaller, more persistent beads. So it's described in terms of bead size and amount of bubbles. Both of those descriptors apply to... Any type of sparkling that you're going to have. And if you like sweeter wines, I also, we we don't mention it often, try Sorbello. They're really nice. Or that bug juice. The bug juice is lovely. I would say that that had fine bubbles that were very, they were not refined, but they were kind of small, smaller beads. It's been too long for me. I would need to taste it again. Smaller beads that aren't particularly abundant. It's a very Mm -hmm. soft sparkle. And some people really don't
0: like it. It's not supposed to be super persistent. Champagne-style bubbles. And you know what's funny?
1: i found that most people that enjoy sweeter wines find bubbles to be too much for them. They don't like them. Hmm. They, they, they don't like the intensity of it because it's, it's, again, a texture thing. It's a thing yeah. you're feeling, not yeah. a thing you're tasting. Although it can determine how much you're smelling, but mm-hmm. that's a different topic.
0: Uh, and mousse on a sparkling wine also will influence how you perceive body as well. Oh, yeah. 100%. And then we finish out
1: with finish. Ha,
0: ha, ha. ha, ha.
1: Gabe, I'm leaving.
0: do will come back. <laughs> I need to finish the episode first. You need to finish the episode. When did you become the funny one? Not okay. <laughs> um, so, a finish of a wine. It's how long the flavors of the wine stay in your mouth after it's gone. It can also sometimes be described as how the flavor changes as, as it gets to the back of your palate. And, um... Also, how it can evolve as it's sitting on your tongue after you've swallowed, that typically is reserved for much more like aged, really high-quality wines, that experience. It's a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. If you have never had it, seek it out at some point in your life. So, uh, Do yourself a favor.
1: So those are our three categories, though. How long the flavor is going to be there, so how long, Mm -hmm. any changes that have happened, Mm -hmm. and in the case of those more well-aged wines, how it changes as it's just resting in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the ways that we would evaluate the how long? It seems pretty self-explanatory.
0: So uh, yeah, you can time it. A lot of people do it that way. I personally prefer to view it as how long do these flavors persist after the perceptible structural elements of the wine are out of my mouth? So mm. is my mouth still watering from the acid and the flavors already gone? That's a short finish. If I'm drinking a red, let's say... If my mouth is finally getting over that tannin structure and I'm still tasting the wine, that is at least a medium finish, right? And then if it continues to just go on and on and on, well, not on, on, on per se, but you know, that gets up into long finish territory. And, um, I wasn't expecting it from this wine, but I would say that this wine actually has a long finish. Um, I'm still going that, that, so 26 seconds, 27 seconds. Earlier, I I drank this and I drank some water and I could still taste it after the water had passed through my mouth. That bright berry really sits particularly kind of towards the back of my palate and it just kind of lingers there. It's really nice. Yeah. And it's also the finish needs to be a positive finish. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unusual, except for maybe like lower quality wines. But I've had some wines where it's like, you know, it's a it's a white wine with really citrus heavy stuff. And then once it's out of your mouth, it just kind of tastes like lemon peel not lemon zest, but like just like lemon, the pith. Like, like pith. Mm-hmm. And like, that would be a bad finish. Like that would just like, no. Um, so it needs to be the positive experience of the wine as well to be a good finish.
1: Yeah. And it can include retronasal as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So the way that I like to evaluate it is basically
1: I'll just time it out and be like, okay, I have the descriptors of if it's around 10 seconds, that's a light finish. If it's around 30 seconds, that's that's a lasting or a medium finish. Mm -hmm. And then if it's a minute to a minute plus, that's what I would describe as like everlasting. Yeah. And it could be a minute plus in a lot of things. I, I never saw it from your perspective, though. It's interesting. We did that big old rambly episode,
0: and I don't think that I learned any of your process. <laughs> um, but I mean, act- my process also evolved because I was, oh gosh, over a year ago at this point. Yeah, but-, but the
1: idea of revisiting everything almost in reverse order that mm-hmm. we've evaluated up until this point to see how long that they sit with us. You're yeah. reevaluating again, like... Is my mouth still reacting to any of those structural components? Yeah. I
0: really like that. Yeah. And for this wine, most of those elements, I would say the acid of all things, ironically enough, is, um, okay, 208 is Michael's yeah. uh, finish time on this. Um, but the acid, I think, is really the what lingers the most, because the tannins kind of come and go. They're, mm-hmm. they're there. But, but they're, they don't do a lot. They don't do a lot. And then the acid is really what, what kind of persists, and this definitely goes way past when I'm swallowing. Oh, so. yeah. And the retro-nasal, I mean, I I I can't get it out of my nose. It's lovely. Yeah.
1: So that's the wine that we we just had. It's amazing. Over two minutes worth of linger. Yep. Uh, and the retro-nasal is still going, but I'm not going to time that. Yeah.
0: So uh, hopefully this episode was a little bit more succinct, yeah, even but- though we are. We're at an hour and two minutes recording time. I don't know what this will translate to uh, in final edit. But it's not an hour and 16 minutes after editing. Yes. uh, Yes. 100%. (laughs) And it wasn't us rambling about unrelated topics half the time. So progress. So to sum up, if we had to, we did color,
1: which is going to be based on hue and intensity, Mm -hmm. which you can evaluate by placing it over or under a light over a white surface. Mm -hmm. We have the aroma, which you can... Kind of suggest to yourself which it's going, what it's going to be. Give it a good swirl so that you can have a heavier concentration of those aromatic compounds released. Then you have, of course, the flavor, mm-hmm. which, again, you are looking at structural components related to it. Then we have the texture, which is related to the tannins mm-hmm. and the alcohol mm-hmm. and the acid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then we have the body, which is an evaluation of weight. And we have the finish, which is an evaluation of all of those things and how long they last when the wine is no longer
0: on your palate. Yes. Fantastic. So if you're ever at a fancy tasting, you can pull this list out and you can impress all of your fancy wine snob friends and you can say, I'm better than you. <laughs> or you can refine your senses
1: and make them sharper so that you can both enjoy a more vivid experience and communicate that experience both with yourself retroactively and with friends and be better
0: than and them. be better than <laughs> them <laughs> that's the real point in all of this is to, to be better than the other people in your life <laughs> Anywho, uh,
1: uh, thank you guys so much for joining us for this we hope that this was a lovely usable
0: practical episode for you yeah and uh, get this wine if you can i got it from costco and i'm genuinely very surprised I mean, I didn't expect a discount. I completely like forgot that it was from Costco, and it's surprising yeah. to learn it again. Yeah. Uh, well, Costco <laughs> actually has a, a pretty decent wine selection. I've never had a bad wine from them. Yeah, I'm definitely um, going to have another glass. But uh, yeah. This is no. my
1: way of publicly asking Gabe yeah. permission to have
0: some <laughs> of this wine. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's the Chateau Marie or Maris, M-A-R-I-S, the La Touche 2019. What was the price on that? um this was i want to say like 17.99 or something it was under 20 i remember that
1: i'd pay for the carbon deficit or carbon negative aspect Mm -hmm. of it by itself
0: Uh, i mean you know it's from minervois Mm -hmm. and so languedoc roussillon region typically very cheap wines but uh growing in quality over time as well so that's a good area to look for some of these little hidden gems um yeah, no, I'm very impressed with this wine. Yeah. Again, as Michael said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hope um, this helps much more up. than our previous attempt did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so sorry to all of you that <laughs> sat through that <laughs> attempt because oh my god, it was yeah, bad. Yeah, that was
1: that was a poor use of our time and your time. Yeah. We want to save you time. Anywho, in our next episode, we might be discussing some of the more scientific parts of what makes all of these structural components happen. As well as doing an epic takedown. Oh, my God. (laughs) No. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about the episode that Adam Ruins Everything did on wine. A couple of just little things kind of ruined his uh, winning streak, but he picked it up later on. It's all good. But uh, we do want to just tell you kind of about not only the structural components of wine and how they... How they are, but also the equipment that you have as a human mm-hmm. in order to be able to perceive these and how that perception is formed. And the science around it all. Science around it all. I don't have a title for it yet. I'm going to say Epic Tech Down of uh, the Adam Ruins Everything. Adam Ruins Himself. Adam gets wrecked. Um. <laughs> Adam gets owned with facts and logic. Dear <laughs> Lord. Again, I like his content. It's just boof. Anywho. So thank you guys so much for. Joining us in this
0: episode, we- follow us on Instagram and Twitter at laidbacklush and uh, TikTok now. Yeah, we now Ooh. have it. We have a TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you guys
1: again, <laughs> and we will get to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.